0: I'm Romy Newman, the co-founder and president of Fairy God Boss, and this is Fairy God Boss Radio. This season of Fairy God Boss Radio is brought to you by Cisco, the worldwide leader in IT networking and cybersecurity solutions. Cisco is deeply committed to inclusion and diversity because without diversity, thought and a commitment to equality, there's no moving forward. Cisco was voted a top company for women by its female employees on Fairy God Boss. Welcome to Fairy God Boss Radio. I am so excited to be joined today by a very good friend of mine, Michelle Gadsden-Williams, who is a global diversity executive. She's worked in many different industries, many different companies, and she's also the author of one book and one book still to come. Michelle, we're so excited to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Michelle, you've had a very storied career. You have worked in many different companies, different countries, but the common thread is you've risen. You've climbed the ladder. You've had so much success. So can you talk a little bit about how you got your start and then how you've kind of navigated a career up so many levels?
1: Well, I started my career right out of undergraduate school in marketing. My father is a retired executive. My mother's an entrepreneur. So I had some role models in the house. It was in your jeans. Um, It really was. And, you know, my father with the tailored suits and I would watch him work at the dining room table in the evenings and all of that. And I was just so enamored with, you know, what he was doing and the people he was leading. And, you know, he worked for a company called TRW and he was there for almost 40 years And I was just so enamored with the work that he did, the impact that he had on people and the business and business models. And I would see him, you know, design these processes and things. And I was just so enamored with all of that. I said, if I had a career, I wanted to do something along those lines. So I knew whatever I did was going to be in corporate America because that's what I knew. But also I wanted to do something with impact and meaning. You know, one of the things that my father would tell, I'm an identical twin. And one of the things that my parents, they instilled in us is, you know, you're not here to occupy space. You're here to make a difference. And it's up to you to determine what that difference is. And so that stuck with me my entire life. I, I was just with my parents on vacation last week, and he mentioned that. Yeah. So anything that I engaged in, that I wanted to do, had to be anchored in that premise. He's a good but, coach. Yeah. You're doctor. I decided to pursue marketing um, i my undergraduate degrees in marketing along with a a minor in communications, so I decided to work for a consumer goods company right out of undergraduate school did that for a few years. yes, it was great, but I still didn't feel fulfilled I liked it i didn't love it so I knew early on that I wanted to pursue something a little bit different that was going to appease both sides of my brain, the analytical side, but also the human capital side. I enjoy people. I'm an extrovert and I draw my energy from people. So I really wanted to pursue something that was going to involve human capital. Mm -hmm. So I then decided to leave the company I was working for go to another company that had a rotational program, almost like an MBA rotational program, Mm -hmm. where I worked in finance and HR and marketing and advertising. And I made my way around the company. And my last rotation was in human resources. And my assignment was to create the company's very first affirmative action strategy. I'm dating myself. And so I went to all the best in breed companies at that time. And I saw what these executives were doing In this diversity space. And I said, wow, you know, the the work that they do, it includes talent, it includes culture and customers and engagement. And I said that this is so powerful. There aren't many roles that encompass all three. And so after I did all of my research and I came back and presented my findings to the president of the company and the executive committee, they said, so do you want the job? I said, what job? They said, we would like you to take on the role of leading diversity for the company. Mm. And that was my entree into diversity practice and human resources. And that was well over 20 years ago. And I've been doing this work ever since. You know, there's such meaning and power around diversity practice for me. And all that I've ever wanted to do in my career was to leave a place in better condition than when I entered, but also to help the next generation of leaders realize what's possible. And this work does all of those things. So I've been doing it for over 25 years in a number of different industries, as you mentioned, but also inside and outside of the United States. And I I don't see myself doing anything else aside from this.
0: I love it. It sounds like you're sort of like a fix-it lady. You like to go in, kind of transform, and then jump to the next opportunity. How do you know when it's time for the next opportunity, and how do you mobilize to get yourself noticed for the next opportunity?
1: For me, once there aren't many more problems to solve, when the work gets a little too mundane or a little too easy, I'm I'm a change agent. So when things become a little too steady, that's dangerous for me because that's when I start looking. That's when opportunities, if they came my way, that's when I start picking up the phone. So I, I think for me, it's, you know, I like constructive disruption. And if that's not happening for me in any type of meaningful way, I, I just get a little bored. Yeah. And so I I look for the next opportunity that's going to engage me in a way that's meaningful for me and for the organization.
0: Yes. Now, you wrote a book called Climb that I really enjoyed reading. And one one of the things that you said in it that just touched my heart directly was this idea that hard work alone, putting your head to head down and working as hard as you can is just not enough. Can you talk a little bit about how, you know, how should we all make sure that the hard work we do gets noticed. You know, one of the
1: things that I found is, and I've worked in the C-suite and outside of the C-suite, and one of the things that I found is that membership into those spaces and in those rooms doesn't come easy. It requires grit. It requires not just intellectual horsepower, but there's some other things that come along with that. And and so for me, it, it was about cultivating, maintaining, and sustaining relationships with others who were going to help me to realize whatever my North star was, but also give me some very candid feedback along the way. So mentors and sponsors and building relationships with your colleagues, you know, how important is that? Because it's not just about who knows you, it's what
0: are people going to say about you in those rooms and places where the decisions are being made. So that's so interesting. And that rarely comes up in my conversations. And I think you're right. That is so important. It's paramount to someone's success because no matter how good you
1: are, if you don't have the right relationships, if you don't know how to build, maintain, sustain relationships with the right individuals within your organization, no matter how good you are, no matter how brilliant you are, the culture could very well eat you alive. And you may or may not survive because again, intellectual horsepower is not the only ingredient to your success. There are other things coupled with that that will ultimately uh, determine, you know, how successful you are in those organizations. So I I think it's critically important that you maintain and sustain those relationships. I said, you know, I talked a little bit about mentors and sponsors. Critical. Like, I, I, I think of my mentors as my personal coaches. I think of my sponsors as my sports agent. You know, you want these people talking you up in these rooms where stretch assignments are being discussed where promotions are being discussed. You know, you you don't want to be the smartest person in the room. You know, one mentor of mine used to say, look, if you're the smartest person in the room, you need to find a new room. (laughs) I've found multiple rooms. And so my mentors and sponsors, I've, by my own design will look for individuals who are vastly different than me. They don't have to be of the same gender. They are usually not of color. I'm an African-American woman. They are usually white males and, and others who are vastly different than me because I think that there's something that can be learned on both sides of the coin here. So I, you know, they can teach me things. I can teach them things, you know, giving them, you know, a, a sense of awareness in terms of a, a day in, in my life and my lived experiences in these corporations. So it's just all worked for me, these relationships.
0: I love that. And I think you have done a great job sort of defining these relationships with very powerful leaders. So for those in our audience who are looking to do that or looking to find those sponsors that would be their sports agents, I love that analogy, what do you recommend? And also, do you recommend anything differently now that many of us are working virtually?
1: I'd say look for someone who, there has to be at least a commonality, something that connects you to that person. You know, either they are an exceptional orator, they can present like no one else can, they are exceptional on the analytics, they understand the business very well. Look for that one connection point, one commonality. So when you sit down for the first time, it's not awkward, Yeah. right? Establish what it is that you want out of that relationship upfront. You know, you do you want to upskill yourself and learn executive presence or gravitas or learn the business a little bit more or understand, you know, R and D or whatever it is. You know, make sure that your expectations are in alignment with the objectives that you're setting for yourself. I think you should also choose someone where. You can cultivate
0: a relationship with that individual, but it's not a forced type of relationship. It's it feels know. more natural and right. Natural. It feels If you go to lunch together, it feels comfortable. Exactly.
1: Because it is a two-way street. And also you want to make this person proud. Mm-hmm. This is the person that you don't want to disappoint.
0: Yeah. So make sure that you're living up to the expectation at the end of the day. And so now yeah. you have achieved this ex- extraordinary position. How do you think about passing the hand back and sponsoring and mentoring other women and men for that matter?
1: You no, know, I, I pay it forward. I would be remiss if I sat here and said that, you know, my quote unquote success has been by, you know, my doing alone. I have had mentors and sponsors and people who have had nothing but my best interests at heart who have carried my bucket of water in these rooms where it counted, who will call me on the carpet and give me not just the feedback that's good, but they will give me the constructive, hardcore feedback in terms of, okay, this is what you need to do differently. I've appreciated that, that these individuals have taken the time to invest in me. And so I've been able to pay that forward with other women and other men uh, too, but primarily women, because, you know, we've, you know, there are many statistics out here. We've been over mentored and under sponsored in many cases. Yes. I think that's such a good point. I believe it's my indelible responsibility to ensure that other women are succeeding, that they feel covered and they have a champion and an advocate and someone who's going to have their back.
0: So yes. I'll pay it forward any chance I get. I love that. Tell us about a mistake you made along the way and what did you learn from it? Yes. Um, <laughs> years ago,
1: uh, during my time in the pharmaceutical industry, there was one company that I worked for and I was working on a project and the project was going incredibly well, but I ran out of budget. And so I took it upon myself to spend more funding on that project than was originally allotted to me. So
0: you sort of took the ask for forgiveness, not permission.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's okay in some instances, but I went hundreds of thousands of dollars, like this mistake cost a division uh, a lot of money Uh that they were not prepared for. But in my heart of hearts, I felt like I was doing the right thing because the project that I was working on had everything to do with the people and the culture and in my mind I thought it was okay to do that
0: yeah
1: so I spent the money and the lesson there was you know sometimes you have to take a step back and look at the long game of your decision like what's what what's, what I didn't think about the implication although in my mind I thought I was doing the right thing but I didn't think about the long term impact that that was going to have on that division. And so it impacted my performance rating that year. I didn't have a terrible rating, but it knocked me down a peg. And it impacted my bonus and my merit increase. And I said, from that point on, I will still have the courage to make decisions. I think I would do it in a different kind of way. I would socialize my ask first and then... You know, state the case, the business case first, present it in a way where I would get the win, where I would get the yes, get the support, forward. but yeah. uh, so a huge learning for me. That knocked me down a few pegs in terms of my little ego. And I said, I would never do that again. But, you know, lesson learned. And one of the things, you know, I, I think a lot of us, we all make, you know, these missteps, mistakes, but you learn from them, right? You have to get over the emotional aspect of it was i I was embarrassed, I was disappointed in myself, I was angry with myself, and you go through all of that, but then you have to get to that point of forgiveness, you know it was a lesson learned right right, yeah learn the lesson and move on and and it wasn't the end of the world, um it was okay,
0: and you just learn from it yeah. And I bet you're so much stronger from that experience. I, by the way, I really identify with that story. I'm sure I've done that a handful of times in my career. Uh, so, 2020 has been a doozy of a year. And I'd love to ask you. You know, I, I think it's wonderful that there's so much more awareness of issues of racial injustice happening in the world right now. What do you wish every corporation would be doing or thinking about? to foster more diversity or inclusion or equality in the wake of what we're all seeing and talking about right now?
1: You know, it's such an interesting question, and I'm going to try not to give a long-winded answer, but, you know, I I live with this every day since it's it's certainly in my field of work. You know, the recent wave of incidences that have occurred over the past few months, years, you know, from George Floyd, and uh, there's been more, Pledges, companies have been doubling down on their programming. I received more calls about diversity officer roles than I ever have. I bet. In my career in 30 years. And the question that I keep asking myself is what's changed? You know, mm-hmm. what's different? But what, what I think everyone is starting to understand better is that what's happening in society. The systemic racism that's going on can certainly seep its way, and in some cases, has made its way into these organizations. And a lot of the racism that's been talked about in the past is a lot more covert. So I think a lot of us are a lot busier than we need to be. You know, we are having conversations, we are creating internal and external communication plans. Everyone's allocating millions of dollars from a philanthropic perspective and having, you know, we want 30% more hiring of people of color. I mean, all of this is happening. And my question is, but this should have been happening all along. Exactly. Yeah. Why now? Right. And so I I just think that there is finally an acknowledgement that The disparities that we talked about from a race, racism perspective, if it's bias or discrimination or the marginalization of people, that all of this has existed in our workplaces, unfortunately, for years. Now we are starting to name it and call it and not sugarcoat it. But we have to get to a place of solutions Mm -hmm. and boldness in terms of how we talk about racism or anti-racism. So I think a lot of us are in this place of disrupting some of the patterns that we're seeing that require deep listening and learning without judgment or defensiveness, that we're finally are starting to take in the data and to take action. And I think a lot of companies are now also starting to get a lot more specific about the actions that they're yep. taking.
0: Metrics, performance. Exactly.
1: And some sure. of the blanket, yeah. abstract statements that, you know, we've heard in the past are now are meaningless. And so employees are certainly attuned to the differences between political statements and real commitments. And so I just think that now we're starting to see the tide turn. And we're now starting to see people deal with the discomfort of being unpracticed about talking about racism, and we're starting to see opportunities for managers to reflect and to talk about race and racism in a way, and to accept their discomfort and to push through it, So, and and more accountability, we're starting to now see. So I I think we're at an inflection point in, in society, but in corporate America specifically, we're now at an inflection point where... We're now starting to see change. But my big question, and I just had a conversation with several other chief diversity officers, this time next year, my hope is that this conversation still matters. Right, right. That the funding doesn't dry up, that the philanthropic efforts are still robust, as what we're talking about now. Yeah. It'll be interesting
0: to see what happens a year from now. Exactly. And it, it is hard because progress isn't, doesn't come fast, yeah. Right. So you you can't just throw some money at it and then move on. We have to really stay the course. Absolutely. Progress happens over time, not overnight. That's right. As, as we're now seeing, but we're definitely at this inflection point,
1: as I mentioned.
0: And I love this idea that we all have to just be much better at accepting the discomfort. Absolutely. Right. You know, I know this is a loaded phrase, but leaning in to the leaning. discomfort.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Leaders who aren't diversity practitioners or change agents to be experts at having this conversation. And it's a courageous conversation to have. Yes. I get the points on the board for just wanting to have that dialogue with their teams. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be practiced. Just having the conversation means the world to individuals that, you know, these incidences
0: are impacting. Yeah. Absolutely. Great I- advice. I want to turn a little bit to personal life and I I hope it's okay for me to raise. You live with a disease uh, that you carry with you. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like to have a global career in the face of having an illness?
1: Yes. Actually, I live with two autoimmune illnesses, uh, systemic lupus erythematosus, otherwise known as lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. And what I will say is 2006 the lie, to be specific, was a real turning point for me in terms of my life. That's when I received the diagnosis with lupus, and it was just this year when I received the diagnosis for rheumatoid arthritis. I'm so sorry. Thank you. And, you know, it's difficult living with these challenging illnesses. Life is not the same anymore for me. You know, constant pain, flares of Headaches and joint pain and muscle aches, and it's almost like having a flu that just comes and goes, it never goes away. Ugh. And so, this, yeah, has become my new normal. So, what I've learned is that self care for me is number one on my list of priorities, career, is, you know, is second or third, even for me. Because if I'm not healthy, I can't contribute and I can't perform at my job. So I have to take care of myself. I need eight hours of sleep. I have to work out to keep my limbs and my joints limber and, and, and flexible and all those kinds of things. I just... This is my new normal. Self-care is paramount for me. I can't do what everyone else does. I can't burn the midnight oil, you know, oil like I used to or burning the candle at both ends. That doesn't work for me. I,
0: I just think about that every day. I mean, it's interesting how we all talk about how important it is to prioritize self-care, but your body sort of raised its hand and said, hey, you yes. need to. This Absolutely. is because you you are somebody who could work and work and work and work. Yeah, absolutely. But I've learned to put myself first. Yeah.
1: Which is a hard discipline. Yeah, it is. But I have to do it. Otherwise, I won't be here to enjoy life. That's right. But, you know, in in hindsight, in the beginning, when I first got the diagnoses, I kind of went into this downward spiral of, you know, why me? I eat clean. I work out. I do all of these things. And I don't have a family history of any of this. Mm But at the end of the day, it's why not me? Yeah, I sit on boards and I advocate for women who are disproportionately impacted by these autoimmune illnesses more so than our male counterparts. And, you know, I speak on panels about how important it is to take care of yourself. So I, I just use it as a teachable opportunity. Yeah. Like I said, if you don't have your health, you can't perform. You won't be traveling and flying on planes back and forth. And, you know, I'll tell you a quick story. I was commuting back and forth to Switzerland every week for two years before I moved there. Right, right. Who does that? Commuting.
0: I can't even imagine.
1: Yeah. And, and so I, I was exhausted. My, my the CEO was doing it. My peers and colleagues were doing it. My boss was doing it. So I felt the need to also to do it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, and I felt good about it at the time. But I was exhausted. And I said, this is not necessary. So there are just some concessions that you need to make in order to continue with your wellness. And so I make smarter choices now. We're
0: just choices that are more right for this time Amen. in your life and this new information. It, Exactly, yeah. All right, I'm going to move to the fun stuff. Michelle, what is your favorite karaoke song? Respect by Aretha Franklin. Of course it is. (laughs) I want to sing that with you one day. We talked a little bit about self-care. What is your favorite way to practice self-care? Curling up with a good book on the couch. Mm, That's great. So to that point, what's a book you'll recommend to our whole audience? Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes.
1: Book. Love that. Yeah. Take the time to conjure up the courage to do the things that scare you the most. I've read it at least four, four or five times and I love Shonda Rhimes. So. Yeah, absolutely.
0: anatomy, scandal. She's a killer lady. Amazing. Who's one celebrity you'd love to have dinner with? Michelle Obama.
1: Opportunity to meet her once at a fundraiser and we were in the middle of a conversation and she was pulled away and we were just getting into the thick of it. And I said, wow, I, I would love to continue to have that conversation with her. I just think she's so dynamic and she's just so
0: powerful and influential. And She's the best. Uh, Michelle, if you're listening, other Michelle, Michelle Obama, if you're listening, both <laughs> Michelle and I want to join your tribe and come away on your girls weekends, please. Exactly. Exactly. So Michelle, you've been to a lot of Fairy God Boss events, so you know that we have this tradition. Uh, but one of the things we've observed is that women are just not good at bragging or taking credit for our own achievements. So I'm going to put you on the spot right now and ask you to brag. Can you brag to us about yourself? This is a very difficult exercise. I must it tell- is so hard. It really is. I am
1: an award-winning diversity expert. Who genuinely cares about helping the next generation of women realize their potential and their ambition? I'm an author. I am a philanthropist. I am a producer. But at the end of the day, I am a woman who cares, who cares deeply about a lot of things about healthcare, education, about women and our well being. That's who I am.
0: Amazing. That was amazing. Bravo. That was so well done. So uh difficult. You were amazing. That was and all of it's true. Thank you. Uh, so d- to close, what is the number one piece of career advice you'd leave our audience with if they all want to go out and rise up the way you have? What's the one thing you want to say?
1: You belong in every room that you enter stand out own it you've paid your dues you've done the work to get there now be comfortable in
0: the seat that you're sitting in great advice michelle this was phenomenal always so good to talk to you thank you so much for being here with us today audience please check out michelle's book climb by michelle Gadson williams it's a great read And looking forward to talking to you soon, Michelle. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Romy. Thanks for joining us today on Fairy God Boss Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and visit us at fairygodboss.com. See you next time.